Hey folks, Nate here. You're listening to Critical Care, a show about games, community, and finding hope in a time of global unrest. This is episode 36, featuring Liam of the leftist tabletop studio and publisher Sandy Pug Games. Enjoy. I suppose I have I have a couple of names that people are t- calling me these days. Uh, Liam is my sort of government name, but plenty of people also call me Nem. Um, my pronouns are they, them, uh, and I design role-playing games nominally, uh, among several other things that I do in the, the industry right now. Yeah, for sure. When I was looking over your, your itch page, um, I was surprised at kind of the range of stuff that you had uh, been involved in both kind of some larger projects some tiny ones lots of interesting kind of kickstarter games which uh, we'll get into a bit later Uh, with all of this stuff kind of all these different outlets i'm curious what what drew you to games in the first place kind of how long have you been have you been working in the game space Uh, what got you started uh well I I guess I started designing games in a in a larger sense you know a million billion years ago you know when I, when I was very small I I would sort of draw Sonic the Hedgehog levels on paper and like play <laughs> through them in my head and I think we've all sort of been there at some point right like we we all had these games we made up rules for and whatever but what the question I think you're asking is when did I start doing it as as a job and as an adult and that was about seven or eight years ago, um, I moved over here. Um, I moved over here from England, and I was finding it hard to find a job. Um, but it was it was fine. I was and I was mostly sitting at home, not doing a great deal, um, and getting very bored. And we'd gotten into board games around that time, and I thought, like everybody else who's ever played a board game, I could do this. This is easy. And so I sat down and I made a couple of, of board games and I, you know, had a little notepad that I would write down ideas for and I made some prototypes and I tried to to sell them or, you know, pitch them to various publishers around Gen Con once or twice and, uh, you know, sending off my emails and my sell sheets and such. And that didn't really go anywhere, um, as evidenced by the fact that none of you um, are playing the ghosts of Wixley Manor or, or Parlor today. But... Um, what I did do as well, I've I've always been a, a huge fan of tabletop RPGs. I started off by playing um, All Flesh Must Be Eaten way back when I was like, must have been, I must have been like 14 or 15, which I gather is somewhat of a late bloomer for some people playing role-playing games. But I got started with that. And when I, you know, you sit down, you start designing board games. It's not too far of a jump to decide to knock together some tabletop RPG stuff. And I had... I had some custom character sheets that I'd made for for Dungeon World, and I put those on drive-through, and they were rejected because I didn't have any cover art, and <laughs> I had no idea how to make cover art because I have at the time I had less than zero ability at, at artistic, you know, visual design. Um, so I just left them up there, and my drive-through account accrued um like a thousand um of those publisher points they have that they let you spend on stuff i came back to them uh a a couple of years later and knocked together some stuff out of free use um art assets you know some creative common stuff and 
they sold fine. They sold enough for pocket money, right? Like they, they brought in about $10 or so over a couple of weeks. And I, I used all of the publisher points on very silly things that I should have done. And, and eventually, um, it's, it just seemed like an interesting way to sort of pass the time. And then things just kind of got out of control from there, really. Dang, that's a, that's a kind of ominous, like, introduction. Uh, <laughs> what what, what ca- counts as, like, out of control in the, the, the tabletop space? I just think that if you told me when I first started, you know, when I, when I put together, I made three character sheets based on, like, um, three playbooks, I guess you call them. I'm, I'm old, so... Um, I three playbooks based off of video game characters. I made one on Simon Belmont, one on Mega Man, and gosh, I can't. Even... Oh, the third was on uh, like Dante from Devil May Cry, and I put those together and I put them up. And I thought, you know, there was there, there were they were a, a weekend or so of effort. And if you if I sort of went back in time and said, hey, um, this is going to be a, a big deal for you for for a while. This is you know you're going to be managing international teams and and this is going to like occupy a great deal of your waking time i i don't think i would have believed you you know like it's, it, it seems that the scale is sort of ramped up rather quick for sandy pug games uh, comparatively speaking yeah i i've definitely noticed a lot like i I've, I've only been following you a a relatively short time i guess i would say but i've been uh, I guess surprised at like the sort of the level of involvement that you've had with like all of these different uh, projects that seem to just cross across my feed. Like it's 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 very cool, and and there seems to be a lot of, of really interesting stuff happening there. And uh, I'm I'm curious what if you could if you know like what was the point where it kind of went from this is a fun way to pass the time to this is a very big deal and is like like my main sort of thing like was there a was there a point where it, it flipped or did it just kind of you woke up one day and you're just like wow okay this is a lot more than than i thought i was getting into um yeah i mean this last year especially has been kind of explosive for us um and it has been you know we, we we've got two i think Previous to this year, we we'd done a couple of projects that were like you know relatively big, but still I think you could you could see them as as primarily hobby um, things. Then this year with Monster Care Squad and Our Shores, this this year meaning the last three hundred and sixty ish days, not necessarily you know January, but um it's been it's been a big year, and with those we went from. We went from, you know, me and my friends raising enough money to buy each other a Nintendo Switch to, like, I paid several people's rent last month, and that, like, is a very bizarre thing to think. Um, I I guess there's sort of two fracture points. There's the, the Orc Stabber Kickstarter, which was the first Kickstarter I ran that was um, successful enough that it kind of kickstarted everything else that I've done since then. And then, um, sort of the beginning of this year, I think, was when a lot of the the ambitions that we've been pursuing, um, my our, Sandy Pug Games' ability to 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 actionably put into to to reality the ambitions that we've had has sort of actualized in this last year. So there's sort of those two points. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. It, it it's the impression I've gotten from talking to other people kind of in a similar space is it seems like there's like a very sharp like increase in once you've kind of got your foot in the door, stuff starts happening like a lot faster and you kind of just have to, to scramble to keep up. But mm. um yeah, I I'd, 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 I'd love to hear more about uh about offshores which uh, is currently or our shores, sorry, um, which is uh, on Kickstarter as of recording. I don't know if it'll still be running whenever this goes up, um, but I've seen this going around. Uh, a lot of people whose work I I really like uh, are involved with it. Uh, I wonder if you want to just kind of talk a bit about about what it is and and like what the the concept behind it is. Sure. Um, I, I guess the sort of 101 thing is that there exists a scene um, called the RPGC uh, scene, which is uh, a collection and collaboration of um, you know, Southeast Asian role-playing games designers and games designers who create incredible stuff, just, just really mind-blowingly good um, games, but lack the ability to bring in funds via crowdfunders. You know, I just got finished saying that the the Orkstabber Kickstarter that I ran is something that allowed me to do everything that came afterwards without without Orkstabber, which was like $3,000 of of funds that I, that we raised for a, a silly one-page RPG. We wouldn't have been able to make, you know, Monster Care Squad or whatever. Um well, the people in, in the entire Southeast Asia region don't have access to Kickstarter or I'm not sure I'd have to verify this. I'm pretty sure they're locked out of most crowdfunders uh, for a variety of different reasons. Um, mm. And so that, like, hamstrings the community quite severely. You know, you, you can get a lot done without Kickstarter. I'm not saying that anybody who isn't using Kickstarter is, you know, hamstringing themselves. But there is a... If you think about it, it's sort of an aggregate thing, right? Like, our scene, the role-playing game scene, the tabletop RPG scene, is richer for having that source of income coming in. And without it... Well, it's it's rough going, and so what RPGC is, is or what our shows is, is um, I I reached out to um, Pamu last year in January, and I said, look, if you, it it's not fair that you don't have access to this resource. Um, all of you are creating, you know, incredible work that needs to be seen, and the platform that we use in our community to do that is Kickstarter. Let me let me publish it for you. I'm not much of a publisher myself. Um, mostly I, you know, I create my own stuff and I pull together teams to, to work together on, on projects that generally I either have, you know, want, want to create myself, but I, I know how it works and I, I've worked with enough groups that I felt pretty confident in being able to, to wrangle Kickstarter, a Kickstarter project together like that. Um, and Pamu kind of, took the reins and, and organized basically every other aspect of, of the project. And what it is, is uh, at, at this point, it originally started as something uh, a lot different, but now it's turned into this thing where it's, uh, it's three large games produced by three teams of creators uh, from the RPGC scene. And uh, that's Capitalites, Marlika, and Navadim's End. Um, they spread, they're spread across a bunch of different genres. They're really, really cool games. And 
We're raising funds to not just get them finished, but also to fund, you know, further expansion of the scene and to, to put money in the pockets of people who I think sorely deserve it. I think the first sort of game from that scene I got interested in, or like the first uh, creator from that scene was uh, Jammy over at uh, Sword Queen Games. And that was kind of my gateway into into finding a lot of other really incredible stuff that I was just kind of completely oblivious to mm -hmm. before. Um, I mean, you talked about getting into RPGs late at 15, mm -hmm. but I I only really got into them like last couple years or so um so i'm i'm still a bit behind you <laughs> even on there uh but yeah there's a, such a it's really remarkable how almost like any any setting or like framework for a game that you could probably think of you can somebody has has turned that into something like way more remarkable than you would have even expected for for just like oh i wonder if i could play a game that's like sailor moon and then someone's like blown out this really impressive like framework for it and it's it's uh astounding like the the level of creativity and like the like scale at which a lot of this stuff comes out even as it is kind of not like recognized or appreciated uh, financially mm -hmm. or or bro as broadly as it as it definitely deserves. I I'm really excited about our shores um, in terms of just like 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 the, the idea of just like giving it more of a platform and more visibility because uh, there's yeah there's there's so much stuff in there that I mean you I've not been able to play like anywhere near all of the the stuff that just strikes me as just like a really cool idea like i'm constantly finding new stuff so i would i would love to see that get in front of more people who are maybe like their only idea of tabletop games are like western ones like uh dungeon world or D D or i mean it's it's the the thing about kickstarter is that it's not just a it's not just a place to get funding it's also very much a uh uh promotional platform right like you make an event mm -hmm. of the game and it attracts it attracts an enormous amount of attention it amplifies your reach massively so it's not it's not even just a straight financial question that these these folks are being denied it's a it's it's a whole crowd it's a whole sort of mass of people that that their work is not getting in front of because they they don't have regular access to this yeah that's something that i've been kind of this is maybe a bit of a detour, but I've been thinking about a lot in terms of like the the tension between like wanting to create like alternate spaces and and platforms and stuff that's away from like the big totems of like in the in the scene, whether that's like social media or crowdfunding or digital distribution or what have you. But then also having to reconcile that with like, well, if I want this to like have any sort of real reach, then it's probably going to have to go through one of these platforms and kind of finding finding where those those contradictions and sort of compromises uh, can best be made without kind of just like leaving you like languishing off in some corner of the internet where nobody can ever see mm -hmm. it. 
this this um, is this is i think a, a conflict that's plagued artists from time immemorial right like at some point mm -hmm. you know you the work that you create if you desire it to be has to interact with society in some way there needs to be some method of get you know that is the people who control the avenues of promotion aren't you know it's not it's not possible or realistically feasible for you to create all of the infrastructure that is required to promote yourself all by yourself you have to interact with some of these systems in some way and it's it's a constant struggle i think for for literally millennia um figuring out how best to finagle it you know one, once upon a time and i i don't mean to to aggrandize too too much about this but once upon a time if, if you wanted to be a successful artist you just had to find a rich guy that liked the things you did and then you had to make stuff that they wanted you to do and hopefully that was good enough that you could uh you could maybe make some of some stuff that you know impassioned you on the side you had to had to you know make friends with with royalty or with landed gentry if you wanted to to produce anything and make it out there otherwise it was you know lost and forgotten or you were hungry or you always talking about folk art which has a very different kind of consumption model than what i think we're talking about here in role-playing game space certainly there's plenty of space in the world for folk games and th those are i think a very important and powerful part of our community too but it's yeah it's a it, it's a it's a struggle that goes way way back i think yeah and and i don't propose to have any sort of like clear like resolutions uh within this call but i think it's an interesting kickstarter is a very interesting kind of isolated case of of like really being like the main one of the only uh platforms within this space and yet it's like like you said like not available to huge portions of the world and that has like a significant effect on just what can be created and what can be discovered um, and who who is allowed to kind of make stuff. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not only, you know, not only is, is the availability across the world a problem, but you, you have to think about what it takes to think. I mean, have you ever considered running a Kickstarter? It's scary stuff. You know, I mean, I, Mm -hmm. it's it, even before you sort of start drilling down into the the actual you know the boring work of figuring out how to make it work there's a there's a huge barrier to entry for kickstarter and once you get through that first one now the the actual gears are hard right like where are you going to get where are you going to get your 500 dollars from to to get the artwork you need to get people interested can you make a video like do you have experience making an interesting video do, are you are you attractive conventionally speaking so that you can be in the video do you know you know is is the writing style you use appealing is the the art that you want to make um does it have broad marketability can you figure out a way to make it sound like it has broad marketability you know is are the mechanics close enough to things that other people recognize enough that they're not going to just bounce off it's uh, do you have the time and the the spoons and the mental capacity to to manage a kickstarter that's a whole bunch of work there that literally doesn't end i still have to spin plates from kickstarters i ran two years ago that i you know fully delivered and have no longer have any kind of financial income coming from them but i still have to answer all the emails that come in every week it's it's an undertaking it's enormous but it, it is it is as you say the only way that most of us are able to 
do the things that we do. The only I, I would say without too much exaggeration that Kickstarter is one of the reasons that the scene has exploded in the way that it has. I think without it we'd still be maybe making, you know, lot lots of fairly derivative I mean, I was around when the D20 um boom was going on and everybody was making, you know, D20 derived systems or a billion billion adventures for stuff. I mean, without without crowdfunding and without the models that have grown up around that, you 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 remove an enormous amount of financial and and social uh power from the scene, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that I mean, I think most people who care enough about this stuff um probably have a more reasonable understanding of like what it takes to to make a successful crowdfunding campaign but like the thing i see so often are people commenting and sort of proposing that like all it takes is someone to just kind of put up a page um and some pictures and like that's enough to like get them thousands of dollars which Mm. is just wildly wildly untrue um if you look at even like even like modestly successful kickstarters like the level of attention Mm. like taken in like the page layout in like breaking down pricing structures in like setting expectations for updates like there is it's like a huge undertaking on top of actually making the thing itself yeah exactly and 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 then you i i will counter and say that even if it was just putting up a page and putting together some pictures, that is uh, an undertaking. That is an undertaking. I don't think a lot of people respect um, the the effort that goes into that. You know, if if I, you can't just you can't just magic that stuff into existence. There's people that need to be paid. There's relationships that need to be developed. There's there's voices that need to be found to be able to produce just a page and some pictures. You know, even if even if you're putting something together kind of slapshod, you can see you can see how that fails. You can go through failed kickstarters and see very clearly um a certain sort of that approach sort of taken to an extreme all the time there's hundreds of kickstarters that are just like some ms paint doodles and uh, a law dump and uh, a person talking to camera on a on a bad you know laptop webcam and then those those games don't get a lot of money and then then Conversely, there's there's hundreds of games that go all the way that that work very very hard and put together an incredible package of, of beautifully designed assets and 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 gorgeous artwork and really put attention to detail into the 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 page and I'm sorry but if you if you sorry you didn't you know roll a six on this one it's you you lost my bad you didn't get any money like absolutely really not a lot you could have done about it like I have a Patreon for. For critical which is like just kind of a modest thing and and i help a friend like do stuff on Bandcamp, and every every step i take into like learning how i guess like the the front like window from which you ask people online to give you money like how that is put together the the more like astounded i am anytime i i look at somebody else's page and just like the can see like every step of just like wow this took this must have taken like hours and hours this is all very meticulous mm-hmm. uh, even if it's something that like someone might click on and then they'll, they'll look at the page for 10 seconds and then click off and i don't know it's it's such a 
it's such a strange dichotomy which i guess i mean is this in a lot of areas of art of like someone put hours and hours into this and somebody's just gonna walk through it in the gallery and not even look at it but it just seems like the like disproportionately a lot of what is expected on on online storefronts and and crowdfunding sites and, and stuff like that versus how much people actually recognize the work that goes into that and i don't i don't really know how you get people to appreciate that work other than get them to understand how how stuff is made which will seem uh resistant to but yeah it, it yeah no for sure i completely understand what you're saying it's 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 a struggle with all this being said uh one of the big i mean we kind of talked about this a bit but one of the big things i was curious about as as you've run now several successful kickstarters and we kind of talked about all that's gone into it and sort of the limitations i wonder just sort of like what is your i I guess like vibe on kickstarter like if you think it is actually succeeding on sort of its its statement of like democratizing like publishing to to varying degrees like is it succeeding at what it's it's aiming to do or like or is it just like a this is the best we have so i guess we're gonna use it i mean i think it's a contentious relationship right the kickstarter has or we have with kickstarter i think it's undeniable that kickstarter has done the existence of kickstarter has done a great deal of good for the the scene right the, the art form it's mm-hmm. undeniable. I mean, if you like, I was saying earlier, if you took away Kickstarter, the um, you would lose overnight an enormous portion of this scene. Does that mean that Kickstarter is succeeding at a goal? I'm not sure about that because I I think that what Kickstarter's goal is is to make a lot of money for Kickstarter, and certainly on that mm-hmm. front, it's making a great. It's it's doing very well. They they pull in uh, a great deal of money every year. Um, and they're doing great there. What is what is true is that our scene has be a, has been able to leverage this tool to afford some of us the um, the sort of benefits of having a, a slightly more stable life to be able to produce some of our games and to be able to get them in front of more eyes. We've been able to piggyback on top of that platform, but therein lies the rub. That the same thing that I think we talk about with. Twitter or other social media things somewhat often. If Kickstarter goes away tomorrow, not one of us is going to be in a position to leverage the success we've had on that platform into true stability in our in, in the rest of our lives. You take away Kickstarter and how many people who you know, I don't I don't know I don't know how we phrase this, but that there there's a certain um we look at certain people in the scene and we think, you know, that person's doing well, right? We, we see them as, as they're, they're successful, they're succeeding. And we don't know what's going on in their inner lives, but certainly outwardly that it appears as such. If you take away Kickstarter, there's going to be a great deal of people who simply, that, that, that vanishes, it evaporates. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a phantom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so long as the platform remains, so long as it remains as it remains and doesn't change or twist or, or break in some way, so long as we're not denied it, then, then yeah, it's, it's a great tool. But it, it, it's a tool under someone else's command 
under someone else's control, and there's not really a lot we can do if it goes away. I, there would be a great gnashing of teeth, certainly, but not many of us are going to be able to leverage the kind of you know startup capital and, and social weight that Kickstarter is able to bring to every single project we've put on there. I don't know if that's a particularly helpful answer, but it's it it really is both both ways, you know. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, I occasionally I'll see like people on Twitter will like be on a new account and basically like begging Twitter to have unbanned like mm -hmm. some account that just got like flagged by a bunch of of random stuff, and it's like without that that account like that seemingly like almost trivial thing like they have no recourse to like even exist in this this space mm -hmm. um and that's like that's like really terrifying when you think about it of just like how much like the existence in a varying scene especially one like games which is very reliant on like uh, existing audiences and being able to leverage communities mm -hmm. and getting getting the word out that your stuff exists. Mm -hmm. um, how almost all of that is mediated by like really just ambiguous corporations that could theoretically just disappear overnight if if for some reason they decided to or or just um, change in some enormous way that that makes what we do unviable. You know, you look at sex workers on tumblr for example or, or people who who, mm -hmm. who conducted in some way sex work and use tumblr as a part of part of that that one one day someone wakes up a tumblr and you know decides that sex workers are no longer a viable part of their business model and you're gone and clearly that's not very likely to happen with tabletop rpgs but the 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 sort of ephemerality of the scene i think is something that needs to be something we think about and he, you see certain degrees of success from people who spread out as far as they can, you know, create this this web across the, the world. And I know it's somewhat of a contentious figure, but you, you talk, you see people like, um, like Brandon from Saltsfall um, setting up large amounts of merchandise and, and um, secondary markets where they're selling not just a game, they're selling like hats and t-shirts and maps and prints and that kind of thing. And that, that means they can sort of have another income stream coming through. And you see people who have their, um, their Patreons set up to get an income stream coming through that. And you can sign up to itch.io and drive through RPG and roll and you can get, you know, your income sources coming from every angle you possibly can. But at the end of the day, you're still sort of dealing with the same problem, right? And, and you've increased your workload enormously and now you're managing you know, five different accounts across five different places selling uh, a million different products. And hopefully, maybe that's all enough to make you rent for the month so long as one of those places don't decide that you're not viable for the platform anymore. It's a, it's a scary thing for sure. And when Google Plus died, we lost not just... I mean, you know, we, we didn't lose people, but we did lose information and culture and ideas. And, you know, we, there was huge communities on that social media platform that had you know their own voices and some of them weren't great i'm not gonna you know rose tinted glasses this i'm sure anybody who was around on google plus has terrible stories about how 
you know, rough those places could be. But at the same time, there were communities of marginalized creators who were talking about things and creating things and throwing ideas back and forth. Now that's gone and it won't ever come back. And, and that is, I mean, that's the state of anyone who's creating anything on the internet, not just us as, as games designers, but something we all have to reckon with in some way. Mm-hmm, definitely. I, at some point, I, like, deleted my Facebook account because I was like, I need to just detach from this, this organization. Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of since then, I've... If it feels like some sort of weird, like, uh, like just haunting that I'm like consistently reminded of, like trying to to connect with people or even just like show someone something I've done, and like the only the only way I had to do that was was through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was like, oh, I'm like, I am putting my like ideological line in the sand that I don't want to deal with Facebook because Facebook is, is evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then kind of realizing repeatedly after the fact um, continually of just like, well, I've just lost like all of this aspect of, of uh, my life and people I knew and my ability to like get eyeballs on stuff that I make mm-hmm. um, and like that's a much easier thing for me to even do as someone who's like relatively low profile and, and has other options like Twitter or Discord or wherever to uh, forge new connections but uh, yeah for someone whose like entire like livelihood relies on on like pulling as many of these strands together as they can it that's not really a, a a call that like they could even like consider making i imagine yeah and and you're i think you're touching on some really important stuff there about the compromises we make every day to continue the work that it is we do you know and, and there's there's examples of that tiny and enormous in our scene you have you know just last year one of the one of the larger things that happened were was that we we all um you know we all we all stopped doing the the any awards right like we all we all decided that we weren't going to be a part of that or a, a large contingent of the indie scene did and then the the season rolled around and a bunch of people who had previously said they were swearing off it myself included got an any award or or were nominated for one or you know whatever you want to say and and you know the the clash there comes with how how much of my personal morals and how much of the 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 ideas that I teach and the ideas that I preach rather um how much of those can can I you know compromise on or or face a kind of practical you know uh reality about you know i I recently had a situation that happened to me where um and i I don't mean this to 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 sort of show off in any way but uh Matthew Mercer retweeted um our shores and if it was a Sandy Pug Games Kickstarter. If it was a, you know, purely something that I put together, I would have, it would have been a lot easier for me to kind of stick to a certain amount of, you know, to heck with these big name people um, that, I, that I'm always shouting about. But when the question was, do I use this moment to promote the 
you know, dozens of marginalized creators that were paid or do I kind of, you know, you know, stick my nose up and stick to my principles about it. It's, it's a clash, right? And you need to, you need to work through that in some way. And, you know, it, without, without Twitter, without Kickstarter, without, without all this stuff, I can't do what I do. I can't create the, the work that I do and I can't do the other things that I think are good enough that they balance out the harm that I am complicit in by being a part of these platforms. I hope that that's true. And I, I hope that continues to be true. Uh, the difficulty there, I think, is come always comes in figuring out when that line is crossed, right? Like it's a, these things have a tendency to be uh, what's the word for it? They're sort of venomous in that they they creep up on you. You don't know, you know, when when that line is crossed. Sometimes, I mean, it's like it's constantly like recontextualizing and and like renegotiating these boundaries and compromises because. Mm -hmm ultimately like there's really no way to to fully detach from them just through the structure of our society sure. one one cannot so, live pure we live in a capitalist state for sure mhm mm but i think one of the things that the way that politics and like ideology is often like spoken about online is in very hard lines that when people aren't able to to fully abide by them they i don't i don't want to say like they just like feel guilty or like they they have aren't able to like resolve their their compromises but i think they can sometimes it can sometimes be easy to lose track of like recognizing that these are compromises and like it's important to be aware of these things and kind of reckon with like what we can and can't do um and, and can't give up mm -hmm. but also not forgetting that like we are not going to be like these perfect political like ideologues like there will be there will be compromises and inconsistencies and like that's just part of 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 living and being a person and living in this society which is all like super it feels very basic but i think with how intense a lot of rhetoric is especially on the internet it can make people feel as if they, if they are not like fully committing to to complete uh consistency and sincerity that they are somehow like illegitimate or complicit in in ways that they don't like like i i i'm i guess i'm struggling a bit to articulate this but i understand what you're saying for sure no you're, you're doing a good job I, I i get what you mean it's there there is a pressure to be there there is i think an and i don't i don't want to say this is this is not real but I think the actual asks of most uh, of the sort of marginalized people who guide, who who I think that like people, people are trying to kind of listen to and 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 work with uh, various different marginalized communities throughout um, the world. You know, the pe people who have like the right intentions and are thinking, you know, that they want to make the world a better place. So they listen to these groups, and I think a, there is a certain voice 
that I don't think actually comes from those communities, but is sort of invented uh, as as an out a, a sort of outgrowth of of a white guilt um, style thing. Um, that like purity is the thing to be shot for. That like a uh, a uh, a certain um, if you can if you can just do everything right, you know you you'll be living in this pure way, and and you will you will make all the correct choices, and you can be perfectly informed. And to me. That feels so close to the right-wing libertarian ideology of, like, being this perfect actor who has time and ability to not just research every single aspect of the world, but also to be so self-actualized that they can simply will another job into being if their job isn't paying them enough. It feels, it feels close to that. It feels, it feels similar to that. And I, I think that, I think that it's it's something we have to avoid. We're all fallible people. We're all we're we all to make compromises somewhere. Your phone was made by you know, at at some point in time, every every device that I'm currently using to communicate with you has like child slavery all over it in some way. There are, there are there are mines where these precious metals are coming from that are horrible to even think about what is going on in them. I'm looking at my cell phone right now, and I I certainly don't need the cell phone to survive. And the suffering that was caused to create the cell phone is absolutely unconscionable but everybody's got one you know it's that that's the way how the the system exists exists in such a way that makes you complicit in a million million micro sufferings every single day they make you complicit in harm in every single thing you do and the only way you could escape it is to become a hermit and live in the woods which is convenient for the system because hermits that live in the woods don't tend to live long enough to do anything about the system itself Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another thing I see is like this this like line of thought also gets like weaponized in the of also uh the opposite direction of like well clearly you don't care because you have a cell phone and it creates it, like this impossible mm -hmm. like wedge between not caring and carrying to a degree that is impossible to to actualize and is kind of through both ends of those kind of works to to not actually achieve what what the supposed like ideals of of these politics are mm. and i don't know i f i find it i find it really really like frustrating and, and kind of um I guess sad to a degree of like the way that people think of these these concepts it becomes detached from like what they're actually hoping to achieve it's, it becomes more of just a a level of a purity reached and the ability to to dunk on other people online when they mess up um which I'm not saying that people don't deserve to be dunked on because they I I am fully in support of of that most of the time, uh, but I I think it's it's worth kind of recognizing that like the like like you said the idea that you can kind of obtain some perfect knowledge and some perfect political identity that will prevent you from ever like having a faux pas again um and messing up with someone which is is obviously 
uh, impossible because we're all constantly learning and growing every day. I think a, I think some to so I, I sort of I, I sympathize with what you're getting at there to a certain mm -hmm. degree. I think I think what you often see in instances like that are, um, I, I think that there are two situations that tend to sprout out. There's 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 the thing that that I think happens most often, which is that someone did something or said something. Let's let's say let's say let's be kind and of say foolish, um, and people jumped in to correct them, um, perhaps harshly. Uh, we'll say we'll sort and we'll sort of put that into into one box. And I think we're both in agreement that that is something that that is fine, generally speaking, fine. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're you're discussing things in a public forum. People are going to respond, and if you say something, as I'm saying, being nice, foolish, then you, I think, expecting a certain amount of blowback is is a part and parcel of it. The other thing that I think happens somewhat often in our scene is that there are. I don't. I hope this doesn't get me get anyone upset. I think we have interpersonal conflicts out in the open somewhat more often than we probably should, and I think that the tendency mm -hmm. in those interpersonal conflicts that happen, a great deal of um, progressive and ideological, ideologically kind of like progressive ideas get weaponized in those interpersonal conflicts you know i'm sure you understand what i'm talking about it's mm -hmm. and there's there is a futility in that but also a, a harm i think being visited upon those concepts generally you know if if every single time you get upset with someone you're kind of there's this huge thing about you know who can figure out the best way to say that the other person is problematic in some way then there's obviously harm being done to the actual concepts you're talking about and i think that that's relatively rare you know i want to say that up front i think that i think that the vast majority of time that i see um people getting called out or people getting um you know dragged or whatever you want to say people uh, this this cancel culture stuff i think the vast majority of time that i see that that's that's something i'm i look at that and i say well that that person the person goofed up i don't know what to tell you that person who is getting who is the main character of Twitter today, they they should not have said that thing. Um, and they should not be thinking those things. And they should be told in the you know the kindest way that anybody can 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 summon that they should shut up and maybe think about the things that they're saying. I mean that's that's perfectly acceptable. I mean, it's it's when things come down to kind of these back and forths, which I say are are incredibly rare. Um that that we that we start running into problems. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the the aspects of the the platform too. I mean, it's Kickstarter loves it when we have big fights. Nothing fun. Nothing. Nothing brings us to the page more than that. You know, that's one of the. Re I mean, we we talk about. I mean, it, it, we spill a lot of ink on on Donald Trump being a part of Kickstarter, uh, a part of Twitter, and like how he drove a great deal of revenue for the platform. The platform got to be. On the front page of every news uh, outlet every single day for four years because it was the primary place that this one shitty dude came and spewed a bunch of hate every single day that got everybody all riled up and yelling about it and and rightly so you know it's it should be called out in in harsh terms when that sort of thing happens but at the same time you have to reckon with the fact that the platform wants you to be angry the platform wants you to be fighty and it wants you to to yell at each other and and a lot of people who are using a lot of these terms haven't, you know, 
have been introduced to them in that context, in the context of social media, in the context of interpersonal conflict. And it's not super surprising that they get used in that that sense. So certainly, we're all guilty of doing it. I certainly have done it before. But when I was, you know, yelling at people on Facebook, I would, uh, you know, certainly engage in a similar sort of thing where you would argue about who is in a sort of ex- ab- abstract sense, you were you were essentially coming down and being like, listen, you, I, I know m- what I'm talking about. I, I'm a good person and I have my progressive ideals up front and center. And the other person would respond with, yeah, well, guess what, bub? I, I also have my progressive ideas front and center. And at the end of the day, you're two people who just dislike each other. You're not really visiting a, a sort of systemic harm upon the world by having a Facebook spat, but you are... You are perhaps doing some harm to someone, even if it's just yourself. It's it's diminishing like what are often like complex and and like historic issues into tools to just kind of tell someone you think they're an asshole. Sure. Which often like often as often as is warranted is often just like a an easy recognizable like go-to way to call someone out while making it not seem like you're just calling them out like that like it's Mm -hmm. i i think i think about like maybe one of the most glaring uh examples of this was like there was like a i want to say they were like 14 or so and they were just they were saying just some some nonsense on i don't even think it was twitter i think it was just like some some like specific games forum or something mm-hmm. and some of like much older people on that forum like wrote up like a 30 page document yeah. like yeah like citing every one of their their infractions mm-hmm. and it's just like 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 i think i think we like <laughs> on 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 leftist t- twitter could maybe m- chill a, a little more about about some stuff I, like yeah, without... I, you know i think that i think that one of the things too is that the the that that specific identity i don't even associate with like a leftist tendency i think i think that that is mm-hmm. i think that that is divorced from any kind of ideological bent i think they'd be using different words and having the same this the exact same thing would be happening if they didn't also happen to be progressive right it, it some of it speaks mm-hmm. i think to the character of the platforms we're talking about and the character of the platforms that these people have migrated from or to um and those that that kind of informs the language that we use to have these disputes and these discussions and and i think that what you see here is sort of the result of people who are yeah i, I don't i don't mean this in a dismissive or to be you know condescending way but i think from from a certain point of view there are there is there's a limit to the amount to, to to the understanding of these ideas that you can get solely through getting into Twitter fights. Um, and like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, deg- there's a limitation there that I think expresses itself when you talk about these people who are like, you know, writing 35 pages about a 12 year old who was wrong on the internet. It's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what benefit anyone's gets out of that. I don't know. I don't know what growth uh, comes. I don't know how the society is sort of, you know, remedied by by that kind of 
conflict. It, it, and to me, like I say, it doesn't speak to me as a leftist tendency so much as it just speaks to me as to the, the tendency of a platform to adopt the language of its, of, of its culture and to develop a language in and of itself that it uses to, to sort of mediate conflicts. And certainly, I mean, I'm from a, I'm from a much older age of the internet. You know, I'm from, I'm from back at a time when, when I think that the conflict resolution was purely vitriol and like the vilest possible thing you could say about someone was the, mm -hmm. the way how you would mediate similar kinds of conflicts. And certainly there were plenty of examples back then of 35 year old people who got incredibly angry at a teenager and, and said the equivalent of 35 pages of absurd, you know, nonsense and, 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 mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And I think that might be, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have a lot of, social insight on that on that front but I, I do i do think that it is something that we should we should be checking for here and there again if nothing else because it's it is what the platform wants you to be doing and anything the platform wants you to be doing i think is is reasonable to question with intensity yeah definitely um i i i, I remember very distinctly being on the other end of one of those those uh, like thirty-year-olds attacking me as a as a very ignorant teenager and just being utterly confused uh, at at what exactly was happening. Um, a bit amused because I was a teenager and everything is funny when you're just kind of posting nonsense. But uh, yeah, I think the increasingly it's like becoming transparent to hopefully. Hopefully more people than just me, I would assume. Um, just the the very explicit limits of discussing any kind of of complicated idea on 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 Twitter or or even on like a YouTube or other sites that maybe allow more longer form content. Because mm -hmm. um, like. Like we we like books exist for a reason. Like we're, like words <laughs> are are very good at like breaking down complicated ideas and like explaining concepts in ways that are like vastly superior to anything you'll find on Twitter or or YouTube or elsewhere. And not to just like be like a stingy go read a book kind of person, but I do think it would it would behoove so many people who I see otherwise maybe even like doing like who who I who I have a general idea are like are posting in good faith but are just like just missing the mark and just like going off into tangents that, that really have no benefit to anyone. Um it just kind of takes some time to, to get offline and actually actually realize what what the heck you're talking about instead of just finding a new person to to quote tweet yeah and, and um, this is sort of i think links back to what i was saying earlier i i don't think that most of the people who we're talking about who are guilty of this are particularly interested in self-development so much as they're interested in having mm -hmm. a sort of toolkit with which they can express their their fury at, at, at imagined slights and I, I, this is why i say i don't even think that it's a leftist tendency so much as it's a human tendency to to just kind of 
there's always going to be some shitty people. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, not to not to divulge on this too much longer because I've taken up a fair amount of your time, but it is an interesting topic that I think you have a, a much more developed view of than than I do or other people I've talked to. So I appreciate the insight and the and the perspective. Um, but as we are running up on time, uh, where can people find you if they want to engage with harmful platforms? Um, where would be the best place to find your work? Uh, generally, you want to go to itch.io um, forward slash Sandy Pug Games. Is that it? Hopefully. Um, if you go to, I have my card. That's 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 a, the fancy place you can go to check me out. If you go to spg.crd.co, you can find a bunch of links to various different um, avenues you can support the, the work that we do there. Um, and uh, my drive-through also, my drive-through RPG also exists and has products on it for purchase. But I think I think most of the interesting stuff that people who are listening to this might enjoy is on itch. And if I, I I'm not when when is this um when are you planning on putting this up? Probably won't go up until after the Kickstarter is done. Well, the, but... then you can jump on the Kickstarter and and check out check out the. Uh, the games and get excited for buying them after they come out wherever the designers put them up, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I didn't even mention it, but yeah, you've already reached your your goal um, and you've still got over two weeks to go Very exciting. Um, as we're recording this. So yeah, uh, it is coming out so people can definitely look forward to that whether or not they're able to to get on the the Kickstarter train. It'll come with a, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this out loud to sort of put my intent into the universe it, it will also include in addition to the three games that i mentioned eight uh eight nine ten the actual number of games is somewhat nebulous a, a large zine that will include a bunch of smaller games by other creators and creative teams from across the rpg scene community so again it's just a it's a fantastic get in there get in there it's a fantastic place to to check out stuff even if all you do is go to the kickstarter page and and click on some of the twitter account links and stop following some people on there you'll you'll do yourself a word of good mm-hmm. absolutely can i uh make a small request i'm sure you, you you're very busy and you have to go i would like maybe to do 10 minutes on that question three you sent over i had like a i had spent like some time researching a term or two for it i, I would i would like to sort of dig in just a little bit if there's a way that we could like have a little chat about that and maybe you could edit it in to the larger thing at some point you think that would be oh, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll, I don't... We're probably, we're like, right at the hour mark, and I'll probably end up cutting a decent amount, so I'm sure we can fit that in we somewhere. We talked a lot but, yeah, about you, Twitter, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I apologize for <laughs> going down it's the Twitter totally okay. Train. It's, it was, I think it was a, 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 a collaborative um, exercise. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what, specifically uh you wanted to latch on here so i guess i guess in terms of like what i was interested in is like i i have had a growing awareness of like games that are explicitly trying to address political like very like intense political terms and, and ones that maybe stumble into it by accident but are 
nonetheless in conversation with that um to, to a more of a degree than just like everything is is political mm. like we we know these things um and yeah i wanted like as as a creator that makes like explicitly like politically engaged work i wanted uh, i mean i had there there's a lot of things i i mean my general one is just like your sort of feeling on on the function that games can serve mm-hmm. in that in that realm as like tools of politics whether that is educational or illustrative or i don't know euphoric mm-hmm. in some cases um there's a lot of ways that that games can kind of fill this gap and a lot of ways that i think games are often very bad at doing so despite having like a lot of advantages that they don't take it take, uh take advantage of yeah no i so the the direction that i sort of think about this in is is in the there's this concept um in marxism that is the the base and the superstructure um mm-hmm. and the 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 idea for anyone who is listening that isn't familiar with this is that the society consists of two elements it consists of a lot more than two elements but for the purposes of this sort of thought experiment or this image you can you can think of it in two different ways there you have the base which is sort of the productive forces the the economics or the financial the the way how we all pay to live and the way how all the things we desire and and need to survive get made the the sort of fundamental gears and wheels of of the economy and society and then above that that springs out of it is the superstructure which includes art and society um the, the sort of larger society um in a marxist understanding of this concept the superstructure's ability to affect the base is incredibly limited because it springs outward from the base and the base doesn't have to change just because you make a movie about how you know factory farming is bad right it it they are, they have the money it doesn't matter you you are inherently in a reactionary relationship with it no matter what you do and i think to to a degree games games ch- tend to interact with society specifically in the superstructure right like the games that we produce are their entertainment their art they are they are tools to of play and this isn't to say that superstructure elements can't explore um concepts that spring out of the base right but the reason that there are games about revolutionary themes right now is because the the material conditions that we live in are such that more and more people are thinking about revolutionary ideas right the limitations of this is that as much as we try no game is ever going to you know force a a dramatic change in the way how economics works so we can celebrate voices that otherwise are doing work in that degree we can introduce the world to new ideas through our games you can educate we can do all sorts of things like that and i think that a lot of people are doing fantastic work in that degree in in that um in that area but i think the the area that we could be doing more work in and i think the area that that i myself i'm trying to to do through works in establishing co-ops and teaching people about cooperative work models and through stuff like our shores is to 
address more firmly the economics behind how we make games and what we do with the sort of base of the artwork that we create, the the, the productive forces of role-playing games, so to speak. So I I don't think I don't think any game particularly has the power to sort of affect political change. I do think that we can create games in a way that empowers people to make material changes in the world around them. I think that if we I think if if we start sharing the wealth that we all create a little bit more evenly, I think if we're paying people, especially marginalized people, um the fair amounts that they are worth and I think that if we start actively seeking out ways to open doors in the same sense as our shores and other projects similar to that then you're talking then then you're actually talking about material changes then you're talking about practical adjustments in people's lives and not just people's lives but in communities lives you know you're you're managing to build and work there and that's that's a, a thing that is very close to me and and the work that we do in sandy bug games i i often joke that you know Every game we create is political. Every game that Sandy Pug Games creates is political, and it is expressly and explicitly anti-capitalist. Even the games that aren't about anti-capitalism are anti-capitalist because every penny that I make from those games in some way funds a base of anti-capitalism. As, as, as far as, you know, that sounds incredibly lofty, and I sound like a, an asshole for saying it that way, but... You know, when I make money from games, I I pay my I, I pay I pay the co-op that that I work in. You know, that money comes in and it it gets shared between us equally. That money goes toward you know food pantries and funding food relief work that we do, and that money goes towards supporting people's patreons and coffees and and that sort of thing. And it it funds the ability for me to to create more tutorials on how to you know structure your next project in a way that's more equitable and it allows the 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 economics of it allows me to have a louder voice to say hey maybe make games in a way that that produces more equitable um communities for all of us you know and it, i think that that's that's where i approach this question from i think the alternative is you end up with something like you know sigmata or something like that where you you're you've got a game that is sort of aesthetically about anti-capitalism but what exactly are you doing that's all that different from the structures that you're critiquing right like what 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 changes are you doing and i think that that's a very common pitfall we see a lot of folks fall into especially uh you know white cishet people i think have blinders on for this sort of thing it takes a great deal of work to get them to take them off but like creating creating games that are aesthetically revolutionary is a pet peeve of mine, something that I don't, I don't enjoy at all. Um, and is quite common, you know, you see, see like the largest companies in the business creating games and they're talking about like revolution and, and having like red flags on the box art and that kind of thing. And it's like, well, but you work for a billion dollar company. What are you talking about? Well, you know, in what way is this anti-capitalist other than you, you've sort of co-opted the art of the movement, you know? Yeah, I remember when, like, I mean, this happens every time a new Watch Dogs games comes out, but especially this most recent one where the marketing and the premise behind the game were attempting to very much, like, like tap into a 
political disenfranchisement and and frustration that a lot of people were feeling mm-hmm. for very clear reasons um and and i there was like there was a period where people were putting out their critical essays on it and kind of like breaking it down of just like well here's all the ways it doesn't actually succeed on these revolutionary ideals and i'm I just couldn't help but kind of sit over here and just like, well, are are we surprised that this this Ubisoft game is not actually revolutionary? Like it's it's its goals are were never to its goals were to sell millions of copies and make shareholders lots of money. It's not its ability to in any way like actualize this, these revolutionary ideals are like immediately cut in half uh but i still feel like that's where a lot of the attention and like the discussion is still being focused on on like trying to almost will a more radical identity into these existing like billion dollar franchises and like experiences that people have spent a long time playing and like idealizing to varying degrees um and and now people are kind of becoming more aware of all of the many ways that the the ways that these games are built and the people that they support are hollow and and violent and just awful to the core uh in a way that just happens when you're at that sort of scale uh but but being unwilling to to give those up and trying to find ways to where they can they can still fit them into their political model mm. or at least find ways in which they are politically important um i've kind of i've i have uh i guess i could generally say, say upset or frustrated um some people recently by kind of uh putting forward the idea i guess that like the way i stand on all of this is that if i want to if i am going to be like using art or looking for art as a political tool the way i'm going to do that is not by attempting to read political allegory into big blockbuster entertainment Mm -hmm. that was created through like just by design abusing and and exploiting people if i'm going to do that i need to i'm going to do it through like buying tiny stuff on itch or Mm -hmm. taking time to like write an article about some some like jam project that is like maybe unfinished or rough around the edges or just like a proof of concept but but is like it's was i know i can know for sure was not made in abusive conditions and like Mm -hmm. the 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 compromise that i think a lot of people aren't aren't prepared to i guess accept is that when we focus all our attention on to onto like cyberpunk coming out and everybody knows that cyberpunk is bad 
we can all see it a mile away because everything that's led up to it is terrible and but we're all going to play it anyway because we've accepted that us not buying it is not going to materially change cd project red like they've already they've got their millions of dollars doesn't matter if we buy it or not voting with our wallet isn't really a thing that that works but i think what is lost in that is that when we are giving all this time and and money to cyberpunk we are like we are not giving that time and money to smaller projects to smaller creators to people who who like $60 could be a significant like that would be like groceries for them whereas CD Project Red is not going to care mm. like the the thing that I I always come back to is like what am I what am I not seeing when I decide I'm going to play some some big budget AAA game that is probably not doing anything interesting but is familiar and like easy for me to to enjoy like what am i not spending time with what who am i not supporting like how could i make better use of the limited like time and money that i have um to where it's not it's not even about like oh i'm not going to play this game because this game is is hashtag #problematic it's i'm not going to play this game because I have only so much time and money to put around and I feel it should be put towards creators and and art that is by people who I would like to see survive long enough to continue making art. And, and let me let me let me loop this back to the previous conversation too. The people who are sitting down and playing Cyberpunk or sitting down and and playing a, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. It's sort of again, it's it's the line that you have to understand on your own personal like ability to compromise on something, right? Like especially if you're not doing any promotion for that thing, if you, if you just like if you quietly buy it and like don't you know, go out there talking about how it's incredible or doing the work for them. The I think we talk about this in terms of like representation sometimes too, right? Like sometimes mm -hmm. if you're like, if you're queer, and the only way that you're going to see a queer person in the movies is by, like, some table scrap bullshit that, that that's at the, like, in the background of a Marvel movie, and that's the only way that you're getting any kind of validation out of the day, it's not my place to come and yell at you for doing that. You're certainly not hurting anybody if, mm -hmm. if you're keeping it to yourself and you're not really giving them any money or anything. Like, I'd be, you know, excess money or whatever. I'm not advocating for stealing things. I wouldn't do that. Um... But um, yeah, it's 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 exactly what we we're talking about before. There are compromises to be made with your ideology, but one has to understand the place of these, the the sort of the sort of purpose of of this art, the sort of the the degree to which it it matters. I guess is a way to put it, right? Like the 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 limitations of art to influence um the sort of like i said the gears of things certainly it can influence your ideologies and your ideas and introduce ideas to the world but it's you know I, I i think about like i have i have some friends on my timeline who really enjoyed playing that new watchdogs i did not like it a great deal either but it, they really enjoyed playing it because it was one of the first times that they were able to sort of play as characters that looked like them 
or and engage in activities that they kind of fantasize about doing themselves. You know, they, they sort of fantasize about bringing down a, a police state. But if they want to do that, it has to be kind of like strong buff white dudes fighting Nazis. And in this, they could be whatever it is that they, you know, imagine themselves as in it. That is that is frustrating that they are left with that as the only option for them. But also, they're they weren't gonna they weren't gonna completely change the world by sort of swearing off of it. They could you know perfectly, perfectly within their their ability to to play a a crappy enormous you know triple A video game and also give money to you know smaller creators and what have you. See it happen all the time. In, in the same sense that we were talking about, you know, your phone's made by slaves. Uh, you still own a phone, though, right? Life is compromised out here. Yeah. I think, broadly, my frustration is more is, is aimed at, like, the critical space that I'm more engaged yeah, with. I, yeah, I like, totally understand what you're saying. For sure. But, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all compromises, and this is this is my my dogmatic line to yell about but i'm i've i i play smash brothers with my nieces so clearly i'm i'm full of shit so well but uh, that, that's like often how it ends up being right like often you 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 get into these positions where you're like you know i i i'm never gonna play a, a large name game I'm, I'm this champion of of independent artwork and then it's like well like fucking i can't i can't tell my niece that we're not allowed to play the pikachu game right because What's that? What's that actually? What's that actually tangibly achieving? Me denying that kind of thing. It happens all the time. Every single day, we all have those little little conversations. What am I going to do? Like, my partner is a is an enormous fan of Wonder Woman, right? Like, they just they just love Wonder Woman. They're they're, they're a brilliant mind. They have rock solid political ideals. They 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 have taught me ninety nine percent of of everything I know as far as leftism is concerned. But they have a weak spot for watching that shitty movie and what am i gonna do i'm gonna yell at them when they want to watch it i'm gonna like be like oh you know that she's in the idf and these films are made by these horrible exploitive you know they know that like what 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 what's the benefit in it when it doesn't doesn't help doesn't help anyone and so it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult road to walk being a you know there's a quote in in disco elysium my favorite leftist video game where it talks about how being a communist is less about building communism and more about building a precise model of this broken world and then depressing yourself by um <laughs> pouring over the the sort of meticulously pouring over the details of the suffering that is in this world while being ultimately powerless to do much about it and that that i think is something that every leftist at some point has to reckon with if they're really on the path you know yeah, one hundred percent. It's we're we're constantly undercutting ourselves, and that's just that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and and finding ways to to work through that without just becoming completely apathetic to it all is kind of the, is really the best we can do most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. In any case, this was an interesting supplemental conversation. To close out the show, um, I have asked every guest so far to share something recently that has been in some way inspiring or given them hope or just been a cool thing that they think other people should know about. Um, 
this could really be be literally anything it could be just like the weather is nice there or you hung out with your dog <laughs> and dogs are cool um or something something more specific and maybe tangible than that but if you have something that you would like to share to close this out it did snow recently and it was very pretty um and we got to spend our time out there with the dogs and, and running them around in the snow and they, they really do quite enjoy that a lot and that's that's always a fun time um but it's been a dark year there's not been a lot of things jumping up that inspire a great deal of hope um but that said mm-hmm. i don't know I, i've seen a, a great outpouring of support for for the the Owlshaws thing, you know, I hate to be one note about it, but that really does sort of fill my heart with with glee. Um, there's been a, I don't know what it's been recently. There's just been a spat of people saying very nice things about Sandy Pig Games on Twitter. That is, every time I see a nice comment, I save it and I put it in a little folder and I look at it every now and then, and it makes me feel good about myself. And um, oh, I tell you what, my friend, um, this is a very specific one. My friend Taylor, who I used to make. YouTube comedy videos with has recently started his own um channel doing silly little videos and he's gotten himself um a little bit of a following through there and I I love seeing my friends succeed and that's been a source of great joy for me. Do you want to shout out the channel so people can I would love to check it out. I uh, or is it... I remember the, our old channel name. I do not recall his current channel name because it's a derivative of the first one and it gets mixed up in my head. I I can send you a link and you could Maybe drop one in the, the wherever this goes up in somewhere that could be for Taylor. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. He'll be fine. <laughs> He'll be okay. Look look up my buddy Taylor. <laughs> see if you see. Yeah. Folks folks in uh check out the the uh show notes and it should be there. If it's not there, then you won't have heard this. <laughs> uh so yeah, go 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 check that out. Uh, in any case, thanks so much for for coming on and talking about crowdfunding and politics and and Twitter discourse. Uh, it's went off in a bunch of different ways that I didn't necessarily have planned, but I I, I enjoyed it and I appreciate it uh, a lot. Oh, I, I had a I had a wonderful time. It's been it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for for having me on for organizing um the show you know i i always make a note to let folks who are doing these interviews know that they're they're doing a an amazing service for for the work uh, that we all do here you know it, it's it, you, we need these outlets more than more than i think we appreciate we need people like yourself doing these recordings and 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 letting the world know about the stuff that it is that we do um and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's very kind. I hope more to see more stuff along this lines. I would love to listen to somebody doing something like this that is maybe a little, a little more organized. Uh, but in any case, uh, thanks so much. And yeah, hope you have a great rest of your of your snowy day. Critical Care is produced by me, Nate Kiernan, with music by Desired. You can find Desired on Bandcamp at desired.bandcamp.com. I'm on Twitter at Nate Kiernan, and you can keep up with everything critical related at critical.com. If you like the show, maybe share it with a loved one, and consider supporting me at critical.com slash Patreon. 
Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and remember this is not game over. We're still fighting and we're gonna get through this.